The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. So good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Fired Up at Webmaster Radio, where we continue to attempt, at least, to uh, bring you the most interesting perspectives and the most uh, interesting new ideas around organizational success. And I wanted to start off today's show with a question along these lines. What do we actually know about these places? We have a very limited experience with this structure, this concept called organizations. And I was really struck by something Art Kleiner said a couple weeks ago for those who listened to the episode. Um, Really interesting work around organizational structure and thinking about this this framework uh, of leadership. And we're going to talk about this more today, but this question of what do we actually know. Art said to me that today, and again, you've got to understand where, where Art comes from, Managing Editor of Strategy Business Magazine, experience with the MIT Organizational Learning Group, wrote the Fifth Discipline Field Book, a variety of other books that chronicled the history of organizations. So deep background in this, and he says that we know today about as much about organizations as the medical profession understood about the human body just before we discovered the circulatory system. So before the circulatory system uh, was discovered, we'd find issues with perhaps the limbs, and we'd have no understanding that the heart may have something to do with um, challenges that we have with our extremities. So our, our understanding of organizations today, in his worldview, and, and I tend to agree, um, we know very little. So we have to come into this with fresh eyes. But the question that we're going to address today with our guest is how do we actually learn? If we know that little, then how do we actually learn and advance our skills in designing organizations or leading organizations to the next level? And and Dove Froman, who's going to be joining us today, he puts out that that you're not going to learn about leading organizations from reading books or articles or by going to class, that this is truly learned through experience. And Dove, I want to just jump right in with you, if I may, and, and ask... If the radio show that I do and these books that are out, and there's thousands of books on leadership, I don't think that you're saying that they're completely useless, but you are saying that experience trumps all. So can you give us a little bit more of what you mean by you have to learn leadership the hard way? 
Well, uh, first of all, I think there are about as many books about leadership as there are leadership failures all the other way around. So somebody had to come and say that leadership cannot be taught, but rather it can be can be learned. And the reason it really cannot be taught, uh, it's a little extreme, but uh, is that uh, actual leadership is tested in a crisis. And in a crisis, what happens is you really don't use your know-how, you use your uh, learned intuition. And learned intuition is your life experience. And so uh, the problem with uh, most of the leadership book and our expectations as a public is that we want recipes. And actually, there are no recipes for uh, leadership. Uh, there are no recipes for, uh, for wisdom. There, are, there may be recipes for know-how that you can teach, but uh, you have to really stop at uh, uh, trying to teach creativity, imagination, and so forth. So basically the message is that in a crisis, you use intuition, and uh, uh, you have a very, very hard time if you are under the impression that uh, uh, you can basically read books. The books give you a perspective. Academia gives you a perspective. But when you are at the heart of a crisis, you have to act immediately and you, eat, you, you act by intuition only. So I want to invite our guests into uh, your worldview and how it got developed. Because Dove, for those who don't know uh, his background, uh, Dove spent many years as the CEO of Intel Israel. But he came to that from a, probably a pretty different perspective. Um, you're an engineer, you're an inventor, you created what is today um, flash memory. You are one of the founders of this concept with the Eprim uh, chips in 1971. Um, so can you give us a sense for somebody who, who likes to take vacations by dropping out of helicopters with a map and, and figuring out how to, how to learn survival in the wilderness and, and coming from your history in the war, can you give us a sense of your background and how you got to be the CEO of Intel uh, Israel, that seems like a pretty unique journey. Well, I'll do it very briefly. I basically, uh, I was born in Holland and uh, was what is called a uh, Holocaust child. I learned a lot uh, from uh, survival in uh, Holland about survival. Then I came to Israel when I was in my uh, about 10 years old and uh, uh, basically progressed through uh, studies through the army. And uh, finally, after I did my bachelor's degree at the Technion, I uh, started looking for uh, places to be taught in the U.S. And I had a few offers, but uh, luckily I uh, wound up in Berkeley at the, in the, actually, uh, 66, in the midst of uh, all the upheaval there and all the uh, world-shaping events. And... Uh, then, after I finished my master's degree, I uh, basically looked for a job, and I wound up in uh, at first at Fairchild, and I moved to Intel. At Intel, I invented uh, the predecessor of the Flash, the EEPROM, and from there, within Intel, I uh, basically drove the setting up of Intel Israel and all this activity. That's about it. <laughs> That's a a short view of a life story that we're going to spend some more time on. So we're going to take a quick break. When we talk about learning from crisis, what I'd like to chat about after break is, is a lesson from, from crisis that many people in the States at least 
have no one idea of how to process, which is how do you keep your manufacturing facility, your fab, open while missiles are coming down on you in, in your local area. So we're going to come right back after break and talk about, you know, how do you deal with Scud missiles as a, as a crisis <laughs> issue uh, running a business. So we'll come right back with Dove uh, right after this. Stay with us for two minutes. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit conversioncritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.conversioncritic.com. Friend Finder. Friend Finder. The world's largest online dating network. Featuring over 100 million profiles at hot sites such as Passion.com and FastCupid.com. Represents enormous profit-making opportunities for webmasters just like you. With Friend Finder's ability to geo-target and provide billing solutions in most languages and currencies, you are sure to find our comprehensive network to be a good friend to your wallet. Wallet. Get more traffic-maximizing details now at FriendFinder.com. This is a test of the PR Web content and news delivery system from PR Web and PRWebAuthor.com. If this was a real release date, your story would reach more than 30,000 journalists, 250,000 RSS subscribers, and just over 30,000 unique websites. PR Web can reach your target audience online, drive traffic to your website, achieve high rankings on search engines, and get your content on top news sites like Yahoo News. Editors are available 24-7 to help you optimize your content for maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the U.S. alone. If this were a real PR web release date, your website would have so much traffic, you'd be tempted to duck and cover. If you have an online marketing emergency, go to prwebauthor.com for 25% off. PR Web, the premier online news release and content distribution service. Mobile Presence, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. We're talking about learning from crisis, how it's not necessarily books and academia that are going to teach you how to deal with things, they'll provide you perspectives, but it's really in these turbulent situations that you describe that your leadership is really tested and your experience developed. So why don't you tell us about one of the biggest experiences that I've heard about from a leadership perspective is actually doing business during war, but literally being showered with missiles in your region and still making a decision, and it was your decision to keep this fab open. So tell us a little bit about how that happened. Well, uh, basically, uh, uh, we were uh, advised uh, at some point in January of, uh, I think it was 1990, that uh, uh, events were going towards uh, towards the war, 
uh, in Iraq, and uh, of course there was already the threat of Scud missiles, but uh, until it happened, we didn't know anything about it, and uh, uh, basically uh, the uh, life went down as usual until the, until the war broke out, except that uh, it wasn't really a conventional war from our standpoint, because in a conventional war, uh, people go to the front. The, the men, at least, go to the front. This one, it was not the case. Everybody was back. So uh, when the crisis hit, uh, the first thing uh, you rely on in terms of your learning experience is you've built a culture of survival in the organization, and basically... Got the organization used to the fact that when crisis hits, uh, you want to be able to leverage the crisis as an opportunity. Now, what we had to worry about when the missiles started coming was the future not only of this Intel manufacturing facility, but the future of the whole uh, uh, high-tech industry in Israel, which was just in its uh, infancy. And so the challenge to the, uh, when we actually decided against all odds to call the employees to come to work on the first day the missiles hit, there was a night, uh, was basically looking at turning this crisis into an opportunity, which means as, soon, as we get out of it long term, uh, both Intel Israel and the high-tech industry in Israel will thrive. And this was some, some kind of a call of action that really was very well received. Rather than reacting in fear and lowering the hatches and not coming to work, which was actually the advice of the uh, civil guard authorities, we said the other way around. Come to work and we will keep this uh, uh, the, the whole thing going under the worst threat possible. So that was basically the, that's basically also the message to potential leaders, especially the young ones, when a crisis hit, the first thing you think about is, how do I turn this crisis into an opportunity before you do anything else? And that generally, it can be done. And for many people, they thought you were crazy. I mean, this was, you know, a irresponsible act from many people's perspective. But as I understood from the literature, this was actually a safer route to keep your employees and even their families together and safe in the facilities. Um, but people thought you were nuts. How did you deal with you know, the, everyone coming down on you at a time like this? Well, uh, uh, first of all, you know, the war coming, really the, the scud starting to fall was a shock to everybody. So I think even though everybody thought I was crazy, it didn't really, everybody was in shock. And so the first thing was, again, it's not a, a thought uh, capability, but it's a learned capability that all of a sudden they basically came to the flag and said, okay, uh, we think it's crazy. Not everybody thought it was crazy, but... Let's do it. And uh, in fact, yes, uh, we uh, after the fifth day of the Scott missiles, of course, uh, people started to come to work in Israel in general, and uh, uh, it turned out that uh, the men didn't feel very well staying at home and uh, dealing with the kids. So it was a sort of a relief for them to come. And uh, I think the extreme was that at some point we even set up a kindergarten in the facility so that the mothers could bring their kids 
during this whole period, which lasted about 25 days, could bring their kids, and we have had we had uh, up to 50 kids, uh, small children, in this kindergarten, all through the all through the Gulf War. So this is a real story of crisis, and when I describe uh, the craziness that people um, felt you were going through and, and people coming down on you, this is a real test of leadership, is dealing with that dissent and dealing with all of the perspectives that are counter to what you thought you needed to do. And we have those moments of crisis from time to time, but I, I want to go to a different story, and there's a ton of stories here in your book that I wish we had time for, but I want to shift to a different one where that this, the issue of survival was somewhat created. And this was your story of uh, of cost reductions and trying to get, I believe, the chip down from two dollars and three cents a piece to sixty six cents, which was an impossible mission. Do I have this right? Did, describe how you used crisis and survival um, to your benefit in in this particular story. Oh, well, uh, first of all, uh, that was at the very beginning, actually, of the of the manufacturing operations in Jerusalem, and. Uh, uh, at the very beginning, in creating the survival culture, we had two, three uh, basic themes. Uh, one was we would like to be the last operation to be closed when Intel gets into a crisis. We would like to uh, uh, be the best. And uh, uh, the other one was we want to survive through excellence. So now, uh, when uh, we started working on the, it actually was a pre-flash product that we were doing uh, at the time. Uh, Intel was uh, still young, and we were uh, everything was really going around development and the next uh, the next new product. And uh, I was thinking to myself that you know our only way to really be competitive in manufacturing is to be cost competitive, not just uh, uh, doing well in our development center, which was in uh, in Haifa. And so uh, we basically said that uh, in order for us to be recognized as a cost-effective manufacturing operation and get some of the advanced technologies, uh, we basically needed to have a project of cost effectiveness, and I called that project 66, 66 cents or die, which was sort of a paraphrase. It was actually 66 cents per die of on a uh, production wafer, and that was about a quarter of what the going cost effectiveness in, at Intel was at the time. And so uh, basically we had a flag with a... Uh, with a skull on it that uh, uh, said 66 cents a die. We flew it on the, on the mast, and uh, we started driving this notion, which seems, again, pretty crazy, but people uh, ignored the fact, the question whether we could reach it or not, because we didn't know. I didn't know either. But we started really improving our cost-effectiveness in every way, and people got really challenged. Rather than get... Uh, discouraged by the goal, they got challenged by the goal. And of course, you have to drive it the right way. You have to make sure that you don't get fear of failure in the process. But uh, people were just going every way possible to reduce the cost. And uh, as a matter of fact, we, uh, we, didn't, we never achieved the goal, but we got close enough to the goal that Intel Corp when they looked at our results, said, hey, we can give these guys the next microprocessor technology, which was really a flagship product, 
And that's the way, basically, survival through success works. The important thing to notice also is that when you are in a corporate environment, most operations rely on the corporate staff to uh, basically take care of your fate and your future. And since we were remote, I realized that corporate staff will let us do our thing, but will not take care of our future. We have to take care of our future. And that was the message to the troops. And the troops responded wonderfully. Well, it takes a certain kind of leadership to allow that to happen. I I think a a survival sort of situation that you set up like that could certainly be daunting and scare people into um, freezing. But they didn't freeze. They felt that there was a sense of confidence and leadership and that you set up a context already in the history that we can survive in crisis. It sounded like the reputation of Israel as the place that can deliver no matter what um, really built some confidence and some self-esteem in your people that, that they could accomplish this. And even if they didn't hit that particular target, that if they got close, that would be success. Is that a fair setup of the context? Uh, can you repeat the question? Well, I guess the question is for the business leaders that are out there listening. This can certainly sound like a situation that would be threatening to their people. Um, but there's certain conditions that you set up to allow this to be successful. And I, I believe from what I've read and what I'm hearing that some of those conditions include your confidence as a leader, um, the reputation that you already built with the people, that Israel is a place that delivers, that this is a place that, even under the worst conditions, can be successful. So that, that sense of confidence in their people. So I guess what I'm asking is what conditions are you setting up? What context are you setting up to allow a, a crisis situation that you're creating to actually be inspiring of new behavior versus freezing people in paralysis? Well, you, you know, you, if you, the, the key is to create a uh, survival culture. And once you create a survival culture, then you can build on it, and you build on it slowly. It was 66 cents of die, and then there was uh, the Gulf War, and then there were some of the uh, tests we have during different disturbances, which means you really have that culture that you have to build on, that you are the leader, you are giving the messages, and that's, that's really the only way to do it. By the way, most leaders, political and business leader, or many, I wouldn't say most, when they hit a crisis, they really create paralyzing fear. And that's, that was 9-11 is an excellent example of that. And there are a lot of uh, examples in Israel of the same thing. We have a fear culture that paralyzes. As a result, people cannot respond, and uh, uh, that is really a deadly response. So the only way you can really deal with that kind of a crisis if you have built the culture and, of course, the leadership capability to excite the people and make sure that they perceive the difficulty level as an opportunity, as a basically as turning the crisis into an opportunity rather than as something that really they have to, be, they have to fear. And another thing you have to avoid, which, again, is very common in corporations and in politics, is do not really drive the fear of failure. If people feel that they have to feel failure, then they are paralyzed and they won't do, they, they won't turn around. 
And that's, these are the two things, you know, the paralyzation, the fear, and then the fear of failure, or in addition to that, that makes people feel that, you know, I don't want to take the risk. And uh, a crisis is always, always uh, generates fear and always generates a risk. And both of these you have to know how to lead in a positive way, contain the fear, and lead people to take the risk rather than paralyze them. This is a worthy topic to spend some more time on and certainly something that many companies in the States and probably all around the world are, are wrestling with right now is how do we create opportunity out of crisis and how do we create a context in our organizations where although we're feeling crisis and we're feeling potential survival, um, that there's still not necessarily a fear of failure, but opportunities to, to achieve new levels and um, uh, a turbulent environment that we're going to navigate through. So we're going to come back with Dove uh, for the last five or seven minutes and talk about the lessons learned and some of the leadership behaviors, not just the context in the organization, but how do we as leaders need to guide through this. And he's got a handful of, of takeaways uh, that I pulled out of the book that we'll probe into just after this. So stay with us. After a short commercial break, we'll be right back with those. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Hey, affiliates. Do you find it a challenge monetizing traffic from the U.K., France, or India? You need offers that will appeal to all of your visitors, no matter where they come from. AdsMarket.com has met this challenge and has turned it into a science. AdsMarket.com gets results for publishers and advertisers with a winning formula. The combination of offers, worldwide traffic, and AdsMarket's up-close and personal media management is exactly the boost needed to monetize international audiences. AdsMarket.com, the science of performance. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Did you know? 99designs is a leading marketplace for graphic design on the internet. Did you know? 99designs connects you to a community of over 35,000 designers who will compete to do the best work for you. Did you know? 99designs allows you to post projects for logo design, web page design, t-shirt design, and more. Did you know? 99designs projects need an average of over 70 different design options for a price that you set. 99designs. When designers compete, you win. Inboxed, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back and closing up the conversation with Doug Froman, the former CEO of Intel Israel, an inventor, an engineer, um, a teacher, um, someone who has much to share with us about leadership from his experiences. And, and when we talk about your experiences uh, and setting up some takeaways, one of the things that I read from your book that I was taken by that I want to dive into first is just the notion of intuition or wisdom versus knowledge. And I guess 
I'd like to ask you, how do you discern the difference between knowledge or, or knowledge gained from information, let's say, um, than what you consider wisdom or intuition? Well, you know, uh, basically today knowledge you can get from uh, Google. And uh, wisdom you, can get, you cannot get anywhere. You can maybe get some from your parents. But most of the wisdom you get from your life experience and not from anywhere else. So uh, basically when you – and this is very difficult because wisdom, everybody agrees, cannot be taught. Now, it turns out that uh, any of the things I'm talking, any of the chapters I'm talking about in the book, in addition to leadership, can really not be taught, whether it's going against the current or whether it's uh, uh, taking advantage of uh, our random opportunities, turning crisis into opportunity, any of these, or daydreaming and uh, time. These are the kinds of things that you learn from your life experience. Now, I'm not saying that uh, uh, every leader should be a Holocaust child in order to succeed, but I'm saying that every leader potentially should learn from his own experience, build on it, and establish his leadership that way. And that is all wisdom and not knowledge. The knowledge is a perspective that you get from books and from, uh, uh, from academia. Well, it sounds like you're also telling leaders uh, not only to learn from their own experience, but to take risks throughout those experiences. Am I correct in, in assuming that risk is an important part of your um, your lessons learned? Oh yeah, if you don't take uh, if you don't take any risks, uh, you don't make any breakthroughs. And I think the the Gulf War experience we talked about, you know, we took a risk. It was a big risk, but as a result of it, uh, a few years later. Uh, we got another manufacturing plant in the south, and today we have two more. So basically, that long-term emphasis and risk-taking really paid off. And uh, of course, you have to weigh uh, your uh, uh, you have to weigh what kind of risk you're willing to take. But basically, uh, a crisis leads to change and needs to lead to a breakthrough. And if you don't uh, take a risk, you're not going to have a breakthrough. Just like if you don't take a risk, you're not going to see any resistance, and you know you have not, you have not made a change. And inside of these risks, you talk about trusting your intuition. So I want to talk about that for just a minute. You use daydreaming as another important technique, and daydreaming in the way that you talk about it is the free flow of ideas and allowing your mind to actually uh, loosen up and allow information in. And we're talking about information coming in, and you're talking about intuition and daydreaming. Where do you think your wisdom comes from? What is intuition and daydreaming in your life? Well, uh, intuition and daydreaming is my uh, whole life experience. But keep in mind that our education system everywhere basically kills imagination, creativity, innovation already at the kindergarten stage for the sake of conformity. So when you talk about uh, uh, things like intuition, uh, about uh, daydreaming, you know, just dare to daydream in class. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get, uh, it's going to be a problem. So my experience is that everything I've done that uh, was significant in my life, whether it was a set of Intel Israel, whether it was the invention of the EEPROM, or, or any of the uh, stands we took, they were all intuitive, 
and they were all based on uh, daydreaming. The, the EPROM invention was really uh, more daydreaming than anything else. The same for Intel Israel. I mean, you don't come up with these things, and uh, it's, it's something that uh, uh, it's some some of it is inborn, but mu- much of it is basically the fact that you realize that the more time you have for contemplation, for considering strategies, and the more uh, you'll be successful in driving breakthroughs. And this is done, I mean, people don't, don't like to admit it, but it's done through daydreaming. And intuition, by definition, not the conventional intuition, but uh, learned intuition is basically your life experience. That's what you bring into it. And so uh, that's, uh, that's the answer. You know, when I say I use 95% of my uh, decisions during my tenure as CEO were uh, intuitive, learned intuition. So I just want to remark for a lot of the listeners out there that uh, will feel like this is out there, esoteric sort of stuff. You also talk about creating a culture of dissent and testing your intuition, not just having your daydreams influence large uh, decisions that you make or big investments, but also creating an environment around you where people can um, contest those and attack those at different sides. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. Dissent and resistance in an open in an open environment are essential for a leader a to uh, to really hone his uh, decisions and strategies and vision, and uh, they are essential to also stop a leader from making uh, major mistakes. So, but the the things that we haven't mentioned uh, all along very much, but you know. The culture that you uh, establish is based on a vision. And the vision, as I mentioned, is uh, basically be the best so that you are the last operation to close in in the case of crisis. In order to support that vision continuously, you absolutely need dissent and resistance. Because if you don't have resistance, you basically are not confronted with possibilities of reevaluating your direction. And I have reevaluated the direction quite a few times based on resistance. Some of it is, uh, is resistance that's uh, an excuse type of resistance. But the real resistance is what really you can profit from, and that's the way you learn from your people. So we'd love to spend some more time on this. We're getting to a close, but there's one more topic that I don't want to leave behind, and I think there was a great point in your book when you talk about values and you're talking about the culture that you're setting up, um, being driven from vision. You also talk about being, having values and running a business on values being uh, a very central thing towards success, which most companies agree with, but it rarely happens effectively. But you talk about that in a very real way and say that the most fundamental challenge or opportunity that our organization has around their values is for the leader uh, maybe it's the leader, the CEO, or the, the leadership team, or the key leaders in the organization, to be clear and transparent about when they are and when they're not living the values. Can you say a little bit about this culture of dissent and, and the idea that you can call yourself or have your leaders call you out when you're not living the values? Yeah, well, first of all, really, uh, most, co- most companies 
have very nice values on the walls of the facility, but uh, these values are generally not practiced, especially not the ones of integrity uh, and along these lines, as, you, as we know from uh, some of the fraud cases and some of the uh, ethical problems that uh, companies have gone through. But, uh, yes, uh, absolutely. The, when, uh, for, I'll give an example, which is the best way to do it. Uh, I was uh, coming to a uh, discussion on, uh, on culture uh, with uh, new employees in the South, and uh, I was late by 15 minutes. And as I was going in, I said to myself, wait a minute, being late by 15 minutes is really trespassing at least four or five values that we have that we're talking about all the time. And I started talking to the employees about the fact that I myself uh, basically was uh, stepping over some of these values and how important it was, and then created probably one of the most, the most the best discussions on culture that I can think of. I wish we had more time to talk about this, though. We are out of time, and there's so many more things that I think are, are great takeaways out of your book, so I'll just speak to some of them and, and ask you to, to wrap up and, and give us final words of wisdom. But um, when you read Leadership the Hard Way, why leadership can't be taught and how you can learn it anyway from Dove, uh, you'll learn more about daydreaming, but you'll also learn about what he describes as soft skills, your inner journey, um, how you interact with people, how to create what he calls invisible mentors, people that you can look up to and have guide you without actually having relationships with, but just to closely observe, um, how to find your passion, how to, again, use and test your intuition, and uh, everything within this context of turbulence and survival and crisis. So there's great lessons for what we're dealing with right now. And uh, because we're out of time, Dove, could you just... Uh, leave us with one parting word of wisdom or two. What would be your takeaways of all of your life uh, that you can give to our, le- our listeners, which are prob- probably uh, business leaders, HR leaders, and communicators for the most part? What would you say that they could think about or do differently um, that you can leave them with parting comments? Well, just remember that leadership is tested in a crisis, and in a crisis, everything that you have been taught disappears. What stays is your life experience. Thank you, Dove, for joining us from uh, is it Jerusalem this morning. Thank you very much, uh, Gordon. Pleasure having you again. Check out Leadership the Hard Way. Uh, you can check out an article about Dove on strategyandbusiness.com. Uh, again, we hope you uh, can send us some comments, what you want to hear on twitter.com forward slash fired up radio. In the next two weeks, we're going to have Michael Gelb. Uh, we're going to have the Pinchos, the authors of The Intelligent Organization, and we're going to start moving to a wrap up of our season, which I'm very excited about in the final week. So we look forward to hearing from you next week. And uh, thank you again, Dove and Webmaster Radio. We'll talk to you soon.